What's up? Welcome back to Forte Catholic. The show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. My name's Taylor Schroll. I am your host. It is great to be back with you here another week. We are recording, pre-recording this week's show because uh, when this show airs live on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. on Red Sea Catholic Radio and Bryan College Station, I will be teaching at uh, an RCIA program at St. Joseph's Catholic Church uh, for the adults who will be coming into the church this Easter. That's very exciting. So, here in the studio, a day early, excited to talk about a couple of things. Uh, we're going to start today's show off um, by talking about a retreat that I went on this past weekend. It was The theme was stressed out, and I know a lot of people, especially at this time of the year, are very stressed out with school and work and, and spring break coming up and then having to do like the final push at school um, right after spring break, and people have tests and people are busy and all kind of stuff, right? So um, the, the whole point of this retreat was how does a Christian, how does a Catholic deal with stress? So I'm going to share some of the things that I learned and saw and experienced over this past weekend. And then in the second segment, we're going to be talking to um, the guy who started St. Paul Street Evangelization, hearing about his story, about what their ministry does. That's going to be our second segment, so stay tuned for that here in about uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. And then right at the end, Lent is starting this week, starting on Wednesday. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Lent, what that means for us, and how this whole stress thing ties in to Lent. So um, I want to thank you for tuning in today, whether you're tuning in uh, live uh, on, on, the, on the radio, driving in your car, or you're on the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. It is great to be with you today. So we're going to start... Uh, again, by by talking about the retreat, so it was I got brought in to lead worship for this retreat, this high school retreat from a bunch of youth ministries in the Tyler Diocese, so um, up in north north uh, northeast Texas, right? And so this diocese is huge. It's actually like the same size of the diocese of Dallas. You know, big. You know, the Dallas is obviously a huge city, real big diocese, and they have a ton of youth ministry stuff going on, right? Tyler's the same size, and they have like two full-time youth ministers for this entire diocese, right? So a lot of parishes either don't have youth ministry or uh, they have volunteers doing youth ministry, that sort of thing, right? So they're trying to um, build up all their, all their programs and do a lot of fun stuff. So they held this retreat for a lot of the parishes at the Pines Catholic Camp, right? And uh, a lot of people on staff at Ablaze Ministries where I work, um, a lot of great people in, in our area here in the Bryan College Station area, have worked out at the Pines Catholic at the Pines Catholic Camp, and I, I I love camp life. Like I I worked at Deer Creek Camp in Medina over in San Antonio when I was in college, and just loved the life of camp. Loved taking kids to summer camp in the summer, all that sort of thing, right? But I had never been to this camp. It's actually like a legit Catholic camp, right? So they they do programming during the summer, and they have retreats, and they have missionaries there who help put on retreats. So whether people want to run their own retreats or go out there and have a retreat run for them, it, it's just an awesome, beautiful place, right? And my life, talking about stress, like my life has been super busy in these last couple of months where I'm just like, I uh, always feel like I'm, I'm behind, and I've been like slowly starting to catch up and get my life back together, right? And so it was nice just to go out into this to this beautiful, beautiful campsite. There's a, there's a lake and just you know, trees all over the place, and I got to just kind of get out of my normal life, like not check my email and just, just go out and be, right, and, and be, be present to the moment. I had some, uh, some time where I was able to kind of be by myself and just think and, and pray and read and all these sorts of things. I, re I finished a book. Like, I never finished books, right? And for those of you that know me, you're like, you didn't read a book over the weekend. I'm like, well, technically you're right. I listened to it on Audible, right? But I, I finished this book over the weekend, and just it was just very rejuvenating for me, it, which is it's so funny because the whole theme of this retreat, what they were talking to these high schoolers about, was, was stress and how to deal with it. So not only was some of these things that I learned there and that were shared there um, that I'm going to share with you, you here in just a second, but um, not only did I learn from that, but I actually got to experience this time of, of getting to kind of de-stress, just kind of get away from everything for a weekend. 
and do the whole point of a retreat, right? Like if you think about in the military, what's the point of a retreat? It's not to run away and to give up. It's to, it's to take a step, a step back and to regroup so that you can go back into battle, right? And that's exactly what a retreat is for us, is we're able to kind of take a step back from our normal day, regroup, and then go, at, go back into the battle of living our faith in our schools, in our jobs, in our families, and in ourselves, right? So um, the first thing I want to talk about that was just really interesting in, talk, uh, in, in regards to what the kids did over the weekend was they, they played this game. So I don't know if you've ever done low ropes or high ropes or, or been familiar with that. So the high ropes courses, a lot of people tend to know about. It's like, you know, rock climbing walls and the zip lines and the kind of the trapeze things where you're just like walking across a, you know, a stick like 40, 40 feet up in the air, right? Um, low ropes is more like team building and these sorts of things, right? So this one game that was led was, uh, so everybody sat in a circle. All these uh, high school teens sat in a, in a circle. So there's like there's like three groups, right? Every group had like 10, tw- 10, 20, 15 people in it, right? So they're sitting there, and they get very specific instructions. There's sitting in this circle, and the instructions were to close your eyes. So everybody close your eyes. Jake, our, our, our wonderful producer here, just closed his eyes. He's going to play along with us here. You're supposed to close your eyes. You can't open them. Until you're tapped once. When you're tapped once, you can open your eyes. Okay? If you're tapped twice, you can stand up. So I got to watch three groups go through this activity, right? The first group, a few of them stood up pretty instantly. I'm like, oh, wait, what's going on, right? Kind of tuning into what's happening. But before I give away the answer, I want to tell you about the last group. The last group sat there in quiet in silence for, like, I'm not exaggerating, 25 minutes. We were getting close to 30 minutes where they were sitting in a circle with their eyes closed and nothing happened. So think about it. What were the rules? Close your eyes. If you get tapped once, you can open your eyes. If you get tapped twice, you can stand up. They all sat there in a circle. And then one kid tapped the person next to him, I think mainly to make sure that they were still there, right? Because at this point, the kids are like freaking out, like, why hasn't anyone chosen me? Why am I not the chosen one, right? Gets tapped. So this girl gets tapped once. She opens her eyes. She looks around. She's like, wait, everybody else is just sitting here too? This is dumb. And then she taps the person next to him. He opens his eyes, looks around, same kind of reaction, right? And then finally, somebody goes, oh, taps themselves once, (laughs) then taps themselves twice, and then they stand up, right? Nowhere in the rules did it say that somebody else was going to tap you. All you had to do was tap yourself, you could open your eyes, tap yourself twice, and you could stand up, and the game would have been over. They sat there for 25 minutes in a complete and utter silence, other than the occasional person being like, what's going on, right? So think about being around a group of your peers, and you're sitting there silently with your eyes closed, so you don't have your sight, you're not talking, and like the feelings that would be rushing over you, right? Why is nobody talking to me? Is everybody else up and I'm the only person here? One girl thought we all left. <laughs> we were so quiet that she thought we just left her sitting there, right? And then so we, we like when this group finally figured it out, everybody kind of circled back up. It's like, all right, let's talk about what happened. And some of them were like kind of frustrated. We're like, wait, what? You didn't tell us. It's like, we didn't tell you what? We told you all the rules. Well, we thought you were going to come tab us. Like, no, we never, we never told you that. Why did you think that, right? Um, and then it was, it was, it was funny because how they actually figured it out was one of two things, right? They either finally realized, oh, I can tap myself. I can help myself out of this situation. Or they started tapping each other and getting up. Right. And there's a couple of lessons in here, right? Cause like we asked them, how many of you guys were stressed out during this situation? How many of y'all were stressed out thinking either you hadn't gotten chosen or um, 
or you didn't know what was going on, that sort of thing. And, and about half of them said, yeah. The other half were like, oh, I just thought this was like, because we're on a retreat, right? So they thought, oh, I just thought this was like a quiet prayer time. Y'all just wanted us to sit out in nature and be quiet. We're like, well, I'm glad you got that time. That wasn't ne- necessarily the point of this exercise, but I'm glad you enjoyed that. But our conversation was interesting because they were like, okay, what does this teach us about our life and about how we deal with stress? And they were saying like, well, for the people who, who tapped themselves, they were like, oh, sometimes I need to realize that I'm expecting somebody else to fix my problem when really it's in my power to fix it, right? So that's, that's not true for all of our situations, but that's true for a lot of our situations where we, we hear the rules of the game, we hear the rules of, of life, we know what's going on, and we expect somebody else to help us out when really it's pretty simple where all we really have to do is, is do a little thing like tap ourselves once, tap ourselves twice, or to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps in real life and, and uh, take that next step, right? The other thing was, uh, what about the people that got tapped by a neighbor, right? It's like, okay, well, there are times where we're stressed out and we have things going on where we do need the help of a neighbor. We do need somebody to come and help us out, right? And then my favorite were the people who got tapped twice, so they stood up, but they kept their eyes closed. (laughs) So, like, a lot of times we, like, convolute things and and make things really complicated, right? Because technically if you got tapped twice, didn't you get tapped once? Exactly, right? You definitely did. So there's a lot of times where we try to just add things. We try to just uh, like pour on like our own way of thinking on, on, onto things, and we make things way too complicated, right? So it was just a really cool um, exercise for us that, we, that the kids really enjoyed, and it was, just, it was just really fun watching them try to figure out this game, right? Um, the other thing I want to talk about from this weekend was there's uh, the, the youth minister at this little church in Flint. His name is Brian Bedoin. Um, he's from Louisiana, so I hope I'm saying his last name right. Um, he gave, he gave, I think the second talk, the first talk on Saturday, right? The second talk of the weekend. And he was talking about what are the four wrong ways to deal with stress? So he, he was asking the kids this, this question. Then he had a couple of things that he wanted to share. He said, so if you're, if you're stressed out, these are some of the things that you should not be doing. <clears throat> Number one, lashing out. I feel like a lot of times I, I know I, there are specific situations that I know either at my house or at work in the past few weeks where I've been stressed out and somebody asked me a simple question and I just lash out at them, right? Or I kind of give a snarky remark. That's, that's typical Taylor, right? <laughs> Being snarky. But, but lashing out and um, kind of taking my stress from one area of my life and adding it to another, right? Whether it's at work and I'm, I'm, I'm stressed because of some situation that doesn't even involve the person that walks into my office, then they walk into my office and I kind of snap at them because I'm stressed out about this other situation, right? That's not fair to them. And then, you know, a lot of people like, you know, they talk about bringing your work home. You're getting stressed out at work and then you come home and, and then you're not like present to... Uh, your wife and kids. I've never, I've never done that. Never experienced that. So uh, I don't know about you guys. No, I'm kidding. I do that really, really often, right? Um, the second thing not to do is excessive worrying about the past or the future, right? Um, so a lot of times when when people are stressed, it's like, oh my gosh, what? How could I fix this situation? How could I have done this better? How could I have done that better? It's like, well, when it really comes down to it, there's nothing you can do to fix that situation right now, right? Um, or also, or looking at the future, like, oh, how is this? How is what I've done, or how is right now gonna like, you know, change my life? I know people who have like, oh, I made a mistake, so you know, I didn't get a good grade on my test, so I'm gonna fail this class, which means I'm not gonna have a good grade point average, which means I'm not gonna get in college, which means I'm not gonna have a good career, which means I'm not gonna ha- uh, be able to provide for myself, which means I'm not gonna be able to have a good family and husband or wife and kids, and I'm not gonna be able to get a car, I'm not, and then I'm gonna be homeless and then I'm gonna die. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you just failed a test, dude, like calm down, okay? It's, it, it's like, just because something bad happened doesn't mean that something, <laughs> that your whole life is falling apart, right? The third thing he said, was uh, don't escape through pleasure, right? There, there are a lot of different um, pleasure things that, that that bring us pleasure that that can be good things. Some of them not good things, but that will take us away from actually dealing with our actual real problems, right? So I know one for me that 
um, is not a bad or a good thing. It's kind of a neutral thing, right? Like, I love video games. I, I know that my, like, one of my stress relievers is playing video games. But I know there's often times where I abuse that, where I, I'm stressed out and I don't want to deal with stuff. So I just kind of escape into this world, right? And, and that's not healthy. And there's a, a lot of things like this. It's, you know, video games or binge watching on Netflix or even um, negative things like, like drinking too much of pornography or these things that people escape into. And the, the, the thing that Brian brought up, is that what happens when we feel pleasure is dopamine's released, right? So we, we, it's this thing that actually happens in our body where it, this, this chemical's released where we want that pleasure even more, right? So if I'm binge-watching on Netflix, the more I do that, the more I want to do that, right? The more I, you know, like he, he talked about like scrolling on your phone, right? Scrolling on your phone is like the new opening up the fridge, right? Because we used to open up the fridge and see there was nothing in it that we wanted, right? And then we'd close the fridge and like 10 seconds later, we'd go back to the fridge and open it up. And there's like, like, what did you think was going to change? There's nothing new in the fridge, right? Um, that's what we do on our phones. Like, oh, okay, I can get on my phone. I can check Twitter. I can check Facebook. I, I, you know, I see all the comments or whatever, and then I'm done, right? And then five minutes later, I find myself, I'm still scrolling in Twitter. I'm like, wait, what am I doing? How did I even get back here, right? And it's like, I just like subconsciously, this dopamine was released and I just wanted it more, right? Um, and then the last thing he said um, the, was the importance of community. And like the one thing not to do is to just run to isolation, right? To try to, to be by yourself. We are made for community. We're made to be together. And it was just beautiful to see that reality come together for these kids at this retreat. They really, like from all these different parishes, were able to recognize that they were all stressed out together and that we all need each other. It was a theme that ran throughout the retreat. Uh, just like those kids sitting in that circle, like you didn't technically need each other. <laughs> to be able to tap yourself and, and get up and open your eyes, right? But it was really helpful because actually most of the groups, that's how they got out of it. Um, so um, here in just a second, we are going to go to a break, and then we're going to come back with the great Steve Dawson of St. Paul Street Evangelization, talking about his life story, talking about what they do with evangelization. Um, and the reason I wanted to have him on today as we kind of approach Lent, we're talking about stress, we're talking about um, Lent af after he's on, but um, I feel like... Lent is a time where we take up challenges, right? And I feel like evangelizing is really hard for a lot of us. So he's going to come on, talk to us, and, and give us some, some tips, some training, and some help on how we can evangelize and spread the good news to everybody around us. So we will be right back. All right, we are back with the second segment of Forte Catholic for this evening, the last show in February. I am joined by a very special guest, the National Director and Founder of St. Paul Street Evangelization, Mr. Steve Dawson. Steve, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. I've been looking forward uh, to meeting you for quite a while because I've known of St. Paul's Street Evangelization, but I, yeah. I haven't really known like what y'all actually do. Um, so we're going to get into that. But first, who are you? What, what, what makes you tick? Um, How did you get involved in this ministry? Yeah, so, well, I, I guess the number one thing is I'm a child of God, right? Uh, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Um, I'm a father of... Uh, and a, and a husband, so my wife, Maria, and I have two little children. Maximilian is my four-year-old, and uh, Maris Stella, star of the sea, she's my two-year-old. Very good Catholic so, names. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Maximilian Pio, he's a Franciscan baby. So <laughs> You decided so, his but, vocation before he was born. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I spent time, um, well, I'll tell you this. I was not always a, a faithful Catholic, or at least, uh, you know, doing my best to follow the Lord. I was really away from the faith for most of, most of my life. I was baptized Catholic, but we didn't really practice the faith at home. And I got into a lot of trouble um, growing up and uh, got arrested, got into drugs, uh, thrown out of high school, um, got arrested again, uh, got involved in alcohol, and, and so all sorts of really bad things that I was getting into. But when I was um, about 10 years ago, I had a 
a really a powerful conversion to to the Lord. I I, I had hit a, a bottom. I I was um, maybe even in despair. Uh, the the thoughts of even suicide flickered across my consciousness. I mean, I didn't really seriously make any plans or anything like that. But I just I didn't want to. I had had enough of life. Really, it was it well. was uh, it was that sort of thing. And. You know, my mom um, had had a reversion to the faith. She came back to the faith powerfully, and she was praying for me and had all of her friends, you know, praying for me too. And uh, one night, the the grace of God just uh, overwhelmed me. I hit my knees, and I said, All right, God, I don't know if you exist, but if you do, you're going to have to show me. And I just, uh, it's a a long story. I have a book with Ignatius Press. It's called Catholic Street Evangelization. And the entire story is outlined in there with a lot of other really great stories. Um, but the short, you know, version is that the Lord just touched me. He brought me in, back into the Catholic Church. I had my first confession and you know, I don't know, 15 years. It took an hour and a half. And my, pe- my penance was 14 rosaries. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't even know how to pray the rosary. But I'm not sure why it, was, it wasn't 10 or 15 he must have been like taking a tally of like the really bad things I did, but then I would think it would be a lot more than that, you know. So, so I'm not sure how he got 14 rosaries, but I'm sure he had a system. Yeah, and, it was probably uh, minutes taken in confession. It was it was <laughs> one one rosary per certain amount of minutes. You took an hour and a half, so it was 14. <laughs> yeah, but um, but you know, I I came back with a lot of zeal. I wanted to get involved in event. Um, well, anything I could, Bible studies, and I got involved in the pro-life movement, and anything that was Catholic that was going on, I wanted to be a part of. And, you know, I heard the call of the new evangelization. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I thought, well, how do I evangelize? You know, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'd listen to, you know, Catholic radio, and I'd watch EWTN, and, you know, uh, I'd, I was learning the faith, reading the catechism, and and theology books, uh, you know, not real deep. I, actually, I bought the Summa, the, the St. Thomas's Summa, and I started to read it, and it was just like way over my head. So I think it's but, over everyone's head. I kind of think it was over St. Thomas's head a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, he called it straw, you know, at the end of his life. But, um, but uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I didn't know how to evangelize, and I really heard the, the story of St. Maximilian Colby, um, and I fell in love with him and his life. And one of the things that he did to evangelize people was pass out miraculous medals. He passed out miraculous medals to random people that he ran into. He would uh, like hide miraculous medals in places that he went to, in places that he thought people would find them. He felt if he could just, you know, get the miraculous medal into somebody's hand, that Our Lady, he called it Our Lady's Silver Bullet, that she would. Um, that would be a door of grace that would open up, and um, that could be a, a channel of grace that, that would lead eventually to conversion. So I thought, I can do that. I can pass out miraculous medals. You know, That's not like standing on a street corner preaching out of a Bible and no one in particular telling people pa- who pass by that they're going to hell or something like that. You know? <laughs> Those are my <laughs> favorite my kind of evangelists. Uh, yeah, like what is that? You know, but But as I would pass out miraculous medals, I, I learned that it was really easy and people were open to it and sometimes it would start conversations. So th- there's a lot of really awesome stories of, of conversions and, and just a lot of really awesome things. So just a quick example, I was at a restaurant, I gave the waitress a miraculous medal, we started a conversation and um, she said to me, wow, this is awesome, I think I've seen this before, my boyfriend's Catholic. And I said to her, well, you know, have, have you ever considered becoming Catholic? And she said, you know, I, I have, but I don't agree with all the teachings of the church, like on abortion. I think, you know, sometimes it should be okay. So I just said simply, you know, from the moment of conception, uh, science tells us that we have a new human life, and it's not up to us to decide who lives or who dies. It's, you know, that's God's choice. It's up to us to, to love life, you know. Does that make sense? And she said, yeah, you know, that would kind of make some sense. So, you know, I'd never seen the waitress before. I thought I'd never see her again. But I went back to that restaurant like three months later, and she recognized me, ran up and said, sit down, I have to tell you something. That day, 
that I had met you, that you gave me that medal. I just found out I was pregnant. I was going to have an abortion. But I knew that God had sent you to be a sign for me to keep my baby. She opened up her coat. um, She was wearing a coat, and she opened up, and she was, you know, pregnant, visibly pregnant. And she ended up having that baby. And it was experiences like that that made me aware that two-minute conversations that I would have with, you know, random people I'd never met before, people, you know, that I'd just run into, God could use those two-minute conversations to be a channel of grace to bring about, you know, saving the life in this situation, bringing people back into church in other situations. And so that's how I got started in evangelization. That that's a fantastic first story in evangelization, Steve. That's that's simply amazing. That myself and the other people in the audience all were mouthing the word "wow" whenever yeah. you were telling that story. That's that's amazing. Uh, so congratulations, you literally saved someone's life. Well, you know, it was, so it wasn't me; it was God, right? And and I was just allowed. You know, God God wants to convert people, right? He created every human being to be in relationship with Him. But he chooses to use us weak and fallible instruments to bring people to him. He doesn't appear to each individual out there in the world and say, hey, come follow me. He uses his disciples to proclaim the gospel and, and, and show his love through, through us. So, but we need to actually, like, do something. You know what I mean? If we don't, like, share the good news somehow then nobody hears it. Or they think they know what the good news is, but you know they, they just believe what the world has told them, the secular media, etc. So just being out there, just making... I, what I realized is that if I could just put myself out there, if I just shared, for example, the simple miraculous medal, used it kind of as an icebreaker that's also a channel of grace as a sacramental, that God would use me, and he did. So I have a, a, like, that's just one story. I have thousands of stories now. And uh, we just got an email from from one of our, uh, a person who's out on the streets thanking us that for her conversion. She's a Catholic now. She just received her first communion. And she thanked us for, for existing because um, she was evangelized by one of our street evangelization teams in Phoenix. And and they were the ones who brought her into the church, and she just wanted to say, you guys are doing good work, you know? And so that's what we do. So all these stories are in our book uh, by Ignatius Press. Yeah, so, yeah, guys, go check that out. Obviously, if you want to go, uh, if you want to hear more about some of these great stories that Steve has been sharing about, and also to learn more about what St. Paul Street Evangelization does, we're going to dive a little bit more into that. And one of the interesting things that I, really interesting things about your story is how you were saying that you you got very far from God. Like, you were, um, you know, struggling with all of those, all those things that you listed, and now you're this great evangelist, right? So, and there was this great conversion that happened. So my first question, um, kind of leading towards how and why you started St. Paul Street Evangelization, is what were, the, what were the problems with evangelization in your life growing up that you think led to you not really caring about your faith and doing things um, opposite to the faith? And then how does St. Paul Street Evangelization uh, evangelize in a way that is reaching people in their hearts yeah, so that's a that's a really great question. You know, it's funny. Um, my mom, so I was baptized Catholic, but my mom was falling away by the time she met my dad. My dad was, you know, atheist. They had no religion in his house growing up. He was never baptized. He was not Christian. He was nothing. And I think I was baptized just because, um, you know, my grandparents probably told my mom, you got to get that baby baptized. But it's not like we went to church. I never remember hearing about God growing up. I wow. just don't. I don't remember um, the thought or the concept of God. It was just, it was something that just never crossed my radar. I went to public school. Obviously, you don't hear about God in public school unless a student, you know, would say something. But I don't remember ever a student, um, you know, talking about God um, to me. So I just, I mean, God was just not on my radar at all. And, you know, by the time I was in middle school or in high school, I think I probably heard about God, but it was just like nothing that, um, made me think. I mean, I can't remember like laying in bed at night and being like, is this guy God? Is he real? You know? So 
evangelization, I think that, first of all, I think our culture has conditioned most Christians, most Catholics, that, you know, faith is a private thing. And if you're going to, like, try to share that in, in ways that are uh, public, like at school or, or, I don't know, I mean, I just, you know, I just never heard about it. So I guess that there, maybe there was a failure in evangelization, or maybe I was just closed. Maybe people did talk to me about God, and I just don't remember. Um, but St. Paul Street Evangelization, we, what what we do is we go where the people are. So, you know, Pope Francis says, look, we can't just wait until people come through the doors of the church. We've got to open the doors and go out into the world. And, and St. John Paul II said, hey, listen, we've got to go out into the, into the marketplace and, and literally preach the gospel from the rooftops. And so we, we try to do that. We try to go out into um, the public's, the public's you know, forum, maybe a public park or a river walk or in front of a public library or, or if there's a football game, there's a lot, a lot of foot traffic, we can go there, like out you know, in the public areas or, or even just the downtown street corner. And, you know, we don't stand on a soapbox and preach, you know, out of the Bible and no one in particular. We don't yell at people, tell them they're going to hell. What we do is, I consider it as non-confrontational of, of you know, public evangelization as you can be. So we, we set up, we put out rosaries and miraculous medals, holy cards and pamphlets, and as people walk by us, we'll just, you know, say, hey, how you doing? Have a friendly greeting. We might offer a free rosary or a free miraculous medal or, you know, invite people to come over. We take prayer requests, and we're just trying to be out there and be present. And just by being out there and being present, when somebody takes interest in what we're doing, they might take a, a rosary or a miraculous medal. You know, through simple questions, we can, you know, try to connect with the person. And, you know, oftentimes they're, you know, they don't want to have a big conversation or anything like that. But sometimes, a lot of times, people will be primed by God to meet us that day. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been out there and the person says to me, you know, I've been thinking about coming back to the church and I, I was asking God for a sign and I know that he put you here today for me. Or, you know, the stories like that are just incredible. And the other thing is that what I really believe that to do this sort of evangelization, to go out someplace and, and you know, talk to people about the faith, that it was going to be primarily a, a you know, uh, apologetics that we were going to be doing. Like de- getting into debates, people would be yelling at us, you know, we, we, you know, but it wasn't any of that. I mean, in fact, in my apologetics, we, start, we were founded about five years ago, um, and my apologetics since that time have gotten very rusty because usually the conversations don't go in that direction. That's not what people, the, the vast majority of people at least, are, are needing. They don't need a biblical answer to why, you know, the papacy is, um, you know, or the church was founded by Jesus or why we don't worship Mary. I mean, once in a while we get questions like that. And uh, we've developed pamphlets that can answer those questions. So if an evangelist isn't very good at apologetics, he can give them a pamphlet. But most of the time it's just connecting with the person, making an invitation, making a, uh, you know, sharing your own personal testimony or explaining what the gospel is, these sorts of things. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. And so yeah. um, in this last minute or so, what I really want you to do is is how do people get connected? If people are, are listening to this right now and they want to grow in their evangelization or they want to help or support y'all's mission at all, how can they get connected with St. Paul Street Evangelization? Yeah, absolutely. So we have 300 teams of evangelists all over the world, and mostly in the U.S. Uh, you probably got uh, teams in your area. But um, just to find out, go to streetevangelization.com or Google St. Paul Street Evangelization, and uh, you can find us. Also, we have evangelization training. Um, We have uh, prayer warriors group, all sorts of different things. We have the book with Ignatius Press, 
And, um, yeah, it's really easy to get involved. If there's no team in your area, it's really easy to start a team. So just encourage everybody to at least contact us, see what we're about. No, that's that's great. And thanks thanks again for coming on. And uh, last week with our guest, Carla Broussard, we talked about the 20 Answers Challenge that Catholic Answers is doing. And uh, for those of you guys listening who are trying to prepare for Lent, if you missed that interview, go check it out because all of those um, uh, $10 from every one of those purchases is going to support the mission of St. Paul Street Evangelization. So uh, go check that out at shop.catholic.com. Check out St. Paul Street Evangelization. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate your hey. time. Yeah, thanks for having me. God bless you. Yeah, thanks again. We'll talk to you again soon. And God bless you and your ministry, brother. Thanks. All right, guys, we will be right back with our final segment of Forte Catholic, so stay tuned. All right. We are back with our third segment of Forte Catholic for the evening. I want to thank Steve again for coming on to talk about St. Paul Street evangelization. Great man with a great story. It's a pleasure having him on. So, uh, funny thing that happened, right? So, uh, Jake, our producer, had to leave. So, this is the this segment is like the first segment I've ever produced on my own. So um, if it's bad, don't blame me. Blame Jake for not being here. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, I want to kind of continue our conversation that we started in the first segment, talking about Lent and about stress and, and what does what do those two things have in common with each other? What what is Why talk about stress the day before? Lent, right? So I want to kind of continue with, with Brian Bedoin's talk that he was talking about, and uh, it's B-A-U-D-O-I-N. Check him out on, on Facebook. He's a good guy, youth minister, a lot of fun. So he was talking about like that one thing that people do whenever they're stressed is they fall into temptation. They fall into sin, right? And it was, it was interesting, the, the analogy that he used. He said that sin is like salt water. You think it will quench your thirst, right? So, like, if, if people are really thirsty and they're, like, stranded on an island, right, you would think that salt water, at least I would because I'm stupid, I would think that salt water is better, like, I mean, obviously I want fresh water, but salt water would be a better alternative, right? But salt water actually dehydrates you more because of the salt in it, right? So, it's one of those things that may look good, it may look like it will help you out, but it actually... Um, dehydrate you even more, right? And he said that sin is like this. Sin is like salt water. It looks attractive. It looks like something that will quench our desire. So whether uh, we're sinning and we're being tempted because of our, our desire for um, for closeness with somebody or our desire to be the best or our pride or whatever it is, right? We think it'll make us happy. We think it'll quench that desire, but it actually dehydrates our soul, right? Um, so this is one of those th- reasons to avoid temptation. So why talk about that with Lent, right? Well, one of the big things with Lent is that people give things up, right? And it's one of those funny things every year. I kind of laugh um, hearing what people what people give up, right? Um, one of my favorite ones is when people give up like a, an actual sin, which is it's kind of funny. I'm like, dude, I'm so happy that you're like a big one in, in, in college was like, I'm giving up cussing for Lent. I'm like, okay, like, I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're giving up this thing that you should never be doing anyway, right? Um, but kind of the point, or one of the biggest points of giving something up is to, one, like be more disciplined, right? So you would you would grow in that if you're not going to cuss and that's something that you struggle with. If you're not going to do that for 40 days, like congratulations, right? But then where it gets funny is like on Sundays, like a lot of people are like, okay, Sunday is actually technically not a day of Lent, so people are like, ah, whatever I give up, I can have on Sundays, right? Because it's a day of celebration. I'm like, okay, okay, cool, if that's what you want to do, right? But what's funny is like, oh, are you just gonna? Like, you're only gonna cuss on Sundays, right? Or like the big thing, there are some people that give it up like for all of Lent, like all Sundays, all every day, right? And then so I'm like, okay, let's say I give up ice cream, right? I give up ice cream for all of Lent. On Easter, I'm gonna celebrate Easter. Like, go to Mass, celebrate that Jesus is risen, and also celebrate that I can eat ice cream again, right? And so having that same logic, it's like, okay, are you going to come home from, like, Easter Mass and just cuss out people? Like, I don't get it, right? But, okay, I'll kind of take a step back from that uh, because, whatever, I'm glad that you're not cussing anymore. But um, the other thing that he said was 
um, and kind of in, in response to um, like escaping from from our, our stress. He said, "Don't run away from your problems, even if you don't think it, or even if you think it doesn't affect anyone." Right. A lot of times we go into isolation because we think our lives don't affect anybody, or we or we run away from our problems because we don't think that us running away will affect anybody, right? But if you're on a team, let's say you're on a basketball team and you're the, you're the leading rebounder, you don't score a lot, so you don't feel super important. But if you're the leading rebounder and then you don't show up, your team will definitely hurt, maybe even lose. But um, again, they should have won because you didn't get the eight, nine, 10 rebounds that you were supposed to get, right? It does, like your lack of presence does affect other people. So he was, uh, his thing that he was talking about was, um, was the Lion King because everybody loves the Lion King, right? That Simba ran away from his problems. He ran away from Pride Rock um, and he met, you know, Tamoon and Pumbaa and was just living this um, Hakuna Matata life, right? Just like all our, all our, uh, um, all our stresses are gone. Everything's out of, out of the window. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. But then meanwhile, back at Pride Rock, like everything is dying, right? It went from this this bright, beautiful circle of life, you know, amazing um, area of land, and then now everything's dying. The grass is dead. All you know, it kind of seems like the sun went out too, right? It's just this super depressing place, and it was all because his presence as king and as the leader was needed there, and he was running away from that problem, and other people were suffering because of it, right? And and we know that in the church, we're all a community. So whenever we're all together and living life together, we can all help each other out. There are times where I can be like super strong in my faith and I can help somebody out who's, who's struggling. There's other times where I can really be struggling with my faith and there are people around me who can kind of pick me up and encourage me, right? And it might be the same person that I just helped out three weeks ago, right? Um, that's the beauty of, of the church, the beauty, the beauty of the community. And the other thing that he said about stress is like not um, just just running away from it and, and not dealing with it. And, and the, another one of his analogies was um, stress is like holding an eight-ounce eight, eight ounce cup of water. You could hold it for, you know, a minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. But if you held that eight-ounce cup of water, it's not that the, you know, the, the eight ounces gets any heavier. But all of a sudden, after a couple of hours, a couple of days, like your arm would go numb and then like you couldn't move anymore, Right. All it took was that just that eight ounces of just holding it in, holding it in, holding it in. And so, like, the other reason I want to talk about stress today as we approach Lent is, like, Lent is a time of not only fasting to help with our discipline, but it's a time of prayer, um, of renewed prayer. You know, it's, it's one of those funny things. I mentioned it at the beginning of the year, um, at, I think on our New Year's Eve show, uh, that I don't often do New Year's resolutions because I, I always like re- renew my prayer life in Advent, right? And then by the time uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's comes and I make my New Year's resolution, I'm like, oh, I should probably do, you know, I, I did my Advent thing real strong for like two or three weeks and then I kind of dropped off. So I, I, I renew it then. And then New Year's, New Year's resolution goes well for a couple of weeks and then, you know, it gets to Lent and I'm like, all right, I need to renew my prayer life again, right? And, and I, I just love the, the brilliance of, of the, the church calendar because it always seems to help me when I definitely really need it, right? Um, so the biggest thing that's going to help us with our stress are, number one, being in community. Like having friends, having your church, if you're a youth, having your youth group, if you're an adult, like having a Bible study or like people that you hang out with that can help you out with these situations that are tough in life, right? These real hard situations. Um, so in regards to like what you're giving up, right? I want to kind of move into that because I was thinking about it. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing for Lent. Uh, and then last night, I was reading this uh, this guy on Twitter, um, and he was saying he, he just treated it as a very simple question. He's like, "Do you men do you pray for your wife every day? If not, why?" And I'm like, "Dang it! I pray for my wife, but I definitely don't do it every day." So this dude on Twitter essentially decided what I'm doing for Lent this year. I'm praying for my wife every day, right? So I want you to hold me to it. So if you uh, if if you think about it. Or you're listening to this like a week later on the podcast or a couple weeks later. If you think about it in a few weeks, shoot me a text. 
shoot me, shoot me on a, on a, call me out on Twitter <laughs> or on Instagram or something. Uh, send me a snap of you looking ridiculous, asking me if I've prayed for my wife today because that's what I'm doing for Lent. So I want to uh, attempt doing this Forte 5 section as I produce it myself. We'll see how, how good it goes. But um, the five best things that I've ever given up or taken on for Lent. So here we go. Possibly. There we go. All right. So number one, way back, I think I was like 12 or 13 years old, I gave up soda, right? Because I was like, oh, I'm a runner. I want to be able to give something up that'll help me run. I wasn't really uh, looking to be holy at all because I didn't care because I was like 12 or 11, right? And uh, I gave up soda and actually kept it going. I didn't drink soda for the 40 days of Lent. I actually didn't drink a soda until the week after my wedding. So, like, a lot of people save things for, for marriages, right? And I, uh, I also saved drinking soda for, for my honeymoon, right? Uh, second was eating out. And when I was in college, it was I lived one mile from my school. There were, like, I think 30, I can't forget now, 30 or 40 restaurants in the one mile between my house and my school that I either rode my bike by or drove um, by every day. So that was definitely my temptation because if you know me or if you've seen me, you can probably guess that I really like food and I really like eating out. So that was a, a, a tough one for me, essentially, especially because the year before on Fridays when I was giving up meat, I would just go to Taco Cabana every Friday and uh, kind of gorge out on some shrimp quesadillas. So I was like, well, I shouldn't be celebrating on Fridays in Lent, so I'm going to do this instead. So that was number four. Number three, and probably the toughest one I ever did, but uh, probably one of the most rewarding, was when I was in college. I was single. I was uh, real busy, but I was like, you know what? I need to intensify my prayer. So I said, I'm going to do a holy hour in adoration every day. That was tough. So every day I went and spent an hour in adoration. There were some days where I was super holy and praying well. Other days that like I was busy because I was a student in ministry from like eight in the morning until like one in the morning, right? So I'd go to the chapel from like one to two in the morning and be like nodding off and half falling asleep. Um, So some of it was uh, great, some of it not so much, but that was probably the the most encouraging one for me. Um, one year, I know a lot of people do this, is gave, I gave up social media. That was a tough one for me because I love, you know, like I said earlier, scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through Twitter, all those kind of things. So I actually just saw in my time hop, my, one of my social media stuff, um, that I gave that up a few years ago. And uh, not doing that this year. And then uh, uh, the last one, one year I gave up video games. And I'm a huge gamer. So this is a very, very difficult one for me. But uh, for my own sanity, I put qualifiers on it. Whoops. And uh, I, gave, I, I said that I'd check in on my phone games once a day for five minutes. So uh, that, way, that, that way I wouldn't be, like, shaking because of my, uh, <laughs> because of my addiction to it. But that was a good one, too. So um, whatever you're giving up this year, I just want to encourage you to, um, to find something that's going to help you grow um, in your prayer, right? Do something committed to prayer, whether it's giving up some something you're doing, giving up some time to pray, or you're giving up something that's difficult, like, you know, like eating out or, or soda or something like that to help you grow in discipline, right? Because when we're, when we're, when we get stressed, especially we're tempted to, to sin, to fall into these sorts of things. So if we're able to say no to the restaurants that we're driving by, we're able to say no to the soda when somebody offers us, then um, we will probably be more uh, it will be will be more able and stronger um, whenever we're faced with real temptation so um the last thing i want to do is i just want to walk through a scripture um, because the, one of the one of the big things that's going to help with stress is our ability to kind of take a step back from the situation and to look towards um and to look to god right so in second corinthians chapter four not two corinthians as our president likes to call it uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, But we hold this treasure in earthen vessels, that, that the surpassing power may be of God and not from us, right? So these earthen vessels are us, right? Like we hold the power of God. We hold like, God's presence within our bodies. In verse 8, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, 
but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, not abandoned, and we're struck down, but not destroyed, right? So Paul is a guy, is the guy who wrote this letter. If you know anything about Paul's life, you know that he was in prison for being in ministry. You know that he was persecuted. You know that um, that his life was very, very difficult, and he's the one writing this. It's like he's talking about being in, in about being in ministry and about himself in his ministry. I'm afflicted in every way, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not despairing. I'm persecuted, but not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. He's essentially saying, like, no matter all the hard stuff that's going on, I know that I can get through this because God's with me. And I know that ultimately there's a higher reward for me in heaven. He continues saying, always caring about it and uh, caring about in the body of the in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our body. So essentially what he's saying is whenever we're able to live like this, when we're able to be people of hope, when we're able to be people of joy, whenever we have these things that are trying to crush us, trying to afflict us, trying to drive us in despair, whenever we're living out this joyful, hope-filled life, that's how we're sharing the mystery of Jesus with those around us, right? They'll look at us and be like, what's wrong with that guy? Like his life's not going well, but yet he's happy, right? I met this guy in college. He was uh, he was the groundskeeper at the dorm that I worked at, and he was the happiest guy I've ever met. And then I would talk to him every couple of days as I was going around. And he was he was um, from Iraq, and he was actually a, a Catholic, which is a rare thing to, um, in Iraq, as most of you know. And he um, was telling me a story one day, and just smiling, smiling, smiling. And I was like, "Hey, how how are you doing? How's your family back home?" Because he had told me that he has a bunch of family that are also Catholics back in back in in Iraq. And he said, "Actually, um, they were all martyred last week. I just found out. Like these terrorists went into this church and 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 killed them. And I'm just like, wait, what? You know, like my mind's just been blown." He just found this out a few days before, and he had just been smiling and laughing and joyful and asking me about my day. And I just kind of took a step back, like holding my hands to my head and like, I'm so sorry. Like, how are you, how are you dealing with this? He said, I, I know that they were martyred. I know that they, they did this for Jesus. I know that they're in their eternal reward. So I'm actually happy for them. I'm a little sad, but I'm happy for them. And that, that joy that I have for them is, is overtaking my sadness. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing, right? So whatever you're stressed with today, whatever is going on in your life, I just encourage you to do those two things. To pray, to take those stresses to the Lord especially as we move into this time of Lent. And then also as you're, as, you're, um, as you're focusing on these things that are stressing you out, how can you find and share the joy and the love of God because of that story, right? So um, I want to thank you guys for listening today. Um, I want to thank you for, for all that you do. And uh, I want to thank you guys, um, all of you who have uh, helped out and gone and rated the show on iTunes. If you wouldn't mind doing that, Subscribe to it. You can get it every week. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for being with me, and I will be back next week. See you.